we did the first five verses in chapter 28. And we open the chapter where David has joined the Philistine armies on their way to fight the Jews. They're facing off in the north of Israel. The Philistines are in Shunem, near Afula. The Jews are gathering in Gilboa. And then the scripture suddenly changes gears to what's happening on the Jewish side of town. And what's happening? Well, verse three says that Samuel the prophet has died and Saul has abolished the witchcraft and the sorcery from the land, which is what he's supposed to do because it's written in many places in the Bible that one must uproot the Balat Ov, the Machshefot, the Yidonim, all the impure black magic has to be abolished from the land of Israel. And that's what Saul does. But what happens in verse five? Well, it says that Saul is frightened of this huge Philistine army that's gathering in the north and he's lost his bitachon. His sins are starting to weigh down on him. He knows Hashem isn't with him. And that's the feeling anybody who's religious, that's what he feels when he sins. He has less confidence in what he's doing. He knows he doesn't deserve the siyat And that's where Saul is holding now. Okay, so Saul's in a bad way. He doesn't know what to do. So in verse six, it says like this, Saul inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer, not through dreams, not through the prophets. So Saul isn't getting answers to the questions that are nagging at him. Prophecy has been shut off for him and he wants to know what God wants of him, but he shut off. And the Raubach says that Saul sins. That was the reason he failed to receive a reply from the Almighty. So what does he do? I mean, basically his question is, that's the Israeli national slogan, what is going to be? That's what he wants to know. And it's the evening before the war. He doesn't know what to do. And so he breaks what does he do in verse 7? And Saul said to his servants, Find for me a woman who is a Baalatov. A Baalatov is a medium or a necromancer. In short, a woman who knows how to hold a seance. So Saul wants his servants to find a lady who knows how to do a seance, a Baalatov. And the verse continues, Find her so I can go to her and inquire of her. And the verse continues, And his servant said to him, They said, oh, there is one of those women in a place called Endor. And Saul specifically said he wants a woman to do it because most of the time, these witches who do this stuff, they're women. And that's why it says in the book of Exodus, chapter 22, verse 17, that you have to kill the witches. And the word is machshefa, not machshef. That is, the word witch in Hebrew is usually in the feminine form. It's machshefa and not machshef. Because again, it's women usually do this stuff and not men. Okay, so this whole situation is bizarre because on one hand, Saul, he's abolished all the witchcraft from the land of Israel, but now he's in need of a witch. So Midrash Tanchuma says it's like someone who slaughtered all the roosters from his town and then he asks his servant, can you find me a rooster to wake me up tomorrow morning? That's what Saul is compared to. And we'll see these contradictions all the time, all the way through this, that on one hand, Saul does the right thing. But then while he's doing the right thing, he's also doing the wrong thing. Okay, so his servants, they know of a particular witch who hasn't been slain yet. She probably works underground or she quit. They know somebody like this. And she lives in this place called Endor. And Saul and his servants are going to go there to use her services. 
So it says in verse 8, Vayitrapes Sha'ul, Vayilbash Bigadim Achirim. And Saul disguised himself. That's the word litrapes. Vayilbash Bigadim Achirim, he wore different clothes. So obviously, Saul doesn't want anyone to notice that this is him on the way to a seance. He's ashamed of it. So he disguises himself. And it's interesting that the word for disguise or costume in Hebrew is litrapes. A costume is a tachposet. Like on Purim, you put on a costume, it's a tachposet, you mitchapes on Purim. And in that word tachposet, like the root of it, is the word chofesh, which means free. Lehitchapes, you have that chet peishin in there. Litchapes from the word free. What's the connection? So the sages explain that when Saul is in a disguise, when he's dressed up, he's free from the malchut. Mitchapes, he's free from it. That is, he's dressed up as something else, as a regular person, free from the kingly status. But, you know, generally speaking, it's interesting that the word for disguise or costume in Hebrew is derived from the word chofesh, free. Because if you notice, if you have a mask on and nobody knows you're behind that mask, you're in that disguise, you can feel very free. I mean, it's happened to me. It's like you're anonymous. It's like a liberating kind of feeling that you know who everybody is and they don't know you. And it's like you don't care, you're free. That's what happens many times if you're dressed up and nobody knows who you are, especially if you're drunk on Purim. Okay, anyway, let's continue. Saul disguised himself, and the verse continues, And he went with two other people with him. Who are these two other people? They're the heads of his army, Avner Bener and the Masa Ben Yeter. That's what the commentators tell us. And that's it. You don't want a huge entourage going with the king at night to do a seance. It's not something you want to flaunt. Okay, so they come to the woman by night and they said in verse 7, Kasmana li ba'ov. So the word kasma from the word kesem or divine up for me or conjure up for me an ov, a spirit. Ta'alili. And bring up for me, that is bring a spirit for me who I tell you to. That is they tell this woman ta'alili, that's the word in Hebrew, la'alot, means to go up. Bring him up for me. This spirit who I'll tell you to bring up. And like we said, this woman, that's her profession. She knows how to bring up the dead. And they want her to do her thing. They just haven't told her yet who they wanted to bring up. Okay, so now we'll see in verse 9 that the woman is quite hesitant to do this. And the woman said, Hine, hey, Atayadata, you know that Saul has wiped out who Hrit. That is, he totally destroyed all the witches from the land. Don't you know that King Saul has destroyed all the witches from the land? What, are you trying to get me in trouble? Are you trying to get me killed? Why are you trying to get me killed? Are you setting me up? So this woman thinks she's being entrapped. She's saying, you know it's illegal. Why are you asking me to do this? So we see here that the people, they really do fear King Saul. I mean, he has obviously installed a fear amongst the people of Israel not to deal in black magic. Of course, she has no idea now that she's talking to the king himself because he's disguised as a regular civilian. But the point is, she quit. And now King Saul is making her go back to her practice. So that's on him. Okay, so the lady is quite hysterical. She thinks she's being set up or she's being asked to do something very wrong. Like we said, Saul as king has obviously enforced the laws against all kinds of sorcery. So now Saul has to reassure her that it's going to be okay. And that's what happens in verse 10. It says, Vayeshava la Shaul ba Hashem. Vayeshava, 
from the word swear. And Saul swore to her by the Lord. And he said, Chai Hashem, as the Lord lives, nothing will happen to you for this thing. That is, don't worry, you will not be punished for this. So the sages explain here how much Saul has declined, how much he's deteriorated, not just by turning to the witchcraft, but he swears in the name of Hashem that this witch won't be harmed. The Midrash Tanchuma says like this, Mashal Misha Udome, to what is Saul similar to? He's like a woman who's cheating on her husband. She's with a lover and she's swearing in the name of her husband. She's saying to the man she's cheating with, I swear in the life of my husband. That's what Saul is compared to here. And by the way, when one worships other gods or engages in such witchcraft, that is considered cheating on God, so to speak. You are betraying God the way a woman betrays her spouse with somebody else. Okay, so now Saul reassures her that she won't be punished, nothing will happen to her, and she calms down. And she says like this in verse 11, Okay, et me a'alilacha. Who do you want me to bring up? Again, the word la'alot, to go up. Who do you want me to bring up? Whose spirit you want me to bring up? Ve'yomer Shaul, and Saul said, et Shmuel ha'alili. Bring up for me Shmuel. So Saul, he's going for the best. He's not playing around. He wants Shmuel and Navi. I mean, if you want to know Maya, if you want to know what's going to happen, ask Shmuel the prophet. Plus, we know that Saul had a very strong relation to Shmuel in his day. They were once super close. And now Saul, he wants him back. He wants to consult with him. Okay, so in verse 12, the lady, she does what she does. She moves around cups or whatever they do at a seance. And the verse says like this, and the woman saw Shmuel. So she's able to conjure up Shmuel and Navi. But then the verse says something unexpected. And when she saw Shmuel, she cried out in a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You're Saul. Okay, so this is becoming hard to understand. Why did she scream out when she saw Shmuel? And how did she suddenly know that it's King Saul standing before her who's been asking her to do this? It's impossible to understand what's going on without some commentary. So the Raalbach says like this, Saul, if you notice, he didn't ask to bring up Shmuel and Avi. He said, bring up Shmuel. So she thought she's going to bring up any guy named Shmuel. And when Shmuel the prophet appeared, she recognized him. And she knew that this isn't just any Shmuel. This is Shmuel and Avi. And so it must be that it's King Saul who's doing the inquiring because Shmuel and Navi isn't just going to appear for just anybody. That's the pshat. Now the Midrash says something else entirely. According to the Midrash, she knew she was supposed to bring up the famous Shmuel and Navi. That wasn't the issue. But when she saw him ascend, it was not in the usual manner of those who ascend through seances because when they conjure up the dead through a seance, they ascend with their feet upward. While this time, this person was ascending with his head upward in honor of Saul. And that's how she knew. That's how the Midrash explains it. And that's why she screamed. Because once she realized that this is Saul before her, she was frightened that he'll punish her. I mean, Saul is supposed to be the most opposed to this stuff. So she felt it was a setup. So she said, Lama Ramitani Vatashaul. Why did you deceive me? You're Saul. So she is frightened. She's upset that Saul deceived her. She thinks she's going to be in big trouble now. And while she's screaming, Saul says like this, Altira, don't worry about it. Calm down. Just tell me what you see. What do you see? What do you see? Mara'it. So Saul's telling her, chill out, chill out. 
Don't worry about it. Just tell me what you see. So the woman says to Saul, Elohim ra'iti olim aretz. I see Elohim, angels or powers or important people ascending from the earth. Now you can really get confused here because the word Elohim, yes, it's a term for God. But she says here, Elohim ra'iti. It sounds like she's saying, I saw gods ascending from the earth. And the English translation for this verse, it's going to be totally different according to what translation you're looking at. Because it's just one of those words that lends itself to so many different explanations. The fact is, Elohim can be used for any great man. It doesn't have to be God. You see that in the book of Exodus. In chapter 4, verse 17, Hashem says to Moses, Aaron will be your spokesman, and you will be for him, Elohim. And later on, God says to Moses in chapter 7, verse 1, I have made you an Elohim to Paro. So Elohim isn't always God. It could be a judge. It could be a very important person. And this is really important because when the Christians say that Jesus was God or son of God, they like to refer to places in the Bible where Elohim is in the Bible and it's talking about a man like over here. But that doesn't mean they're God. It means they're important or respected. Okay, so let's go back. This woman says she sees Elohim Olim Let's call it angels or great men. She sees angels ascending from the earth. Now, I want to bring another Midrash. And by the way, if you look at Midrash Tanchum, Pashat Emor, you will get a fascinating Midrash on every verse in this chapter, one by one. And I want to bring one of them right now. When the lady said Elohim Ra'iti Olim it sounds like two people are ascending. Because it says olim, not ole, in the plural form. So how can you have two people when Saul asks for one? So the Midrash says there were two people. There were two angels, or two powers. Olim, Shmuel, and Moses. Yes, Moses joined Shmuel. He was there too. So what was Moses doing there? Well, the Midrash says like this. Shmuel's soul, it's in the heavens. He didn't die too long ago. And his soul is in the heavens. He just died. And suddenly, he's getting called. He hears Shmuel, Shmuel. He doesn't know what it's for. He doesn't know for what. He doesn't know he's getting called by the Ba'alatov, by the seance lady. He thinks he's getting called for Yom Adin. He thinks he's being summoned for judgment in the heavenly court. And he's terrified. Yeah, Yom Adin, being summoned to the heavenly court for judgment, that's a scary thing. You're judged on all your deeds, everything you said. So Shmuel brought Moses along with him to be his lawyer, to help him against the accusers. That's why it says, Elohim Olim in There's two of them, Moses and Shmuel. Shmuel and Moses, who he brought along for him to be his defender. And then the rabbis in the Midrash conclude, if Shmuel the Navi, Shmuel the prophet, if he's worried about Yom Adin, about Judgment Day, oy vey for us, and they say, oy lanu le Yom Adin, oy vey, that is the scariest thing, Judgment Day. And that's a little mooser for us, that in the end there's going to be a reckoning for what we did. And it's going to be scary because if Shmuel and Avi, one of the greatest Jews of all time, was scared and he grabbed Moshe Rabbeinu to plead for him his case, well, all the more for us, we should be frightened out of our minds about that. Okay, we're going to stop here. Shmuel has been conjured up and Saul and Shmuel are going to have one heck of a conversation very soon. And in our next year, I think we'll get to another very basic question regarding this chapter. And the question is, is this real? Can you really raise a dead person's soul? I mean, are these witches for real? Are they really doing something? And we're going to see a dispute among the commentators. And I'm talking the heavyweight commentators regarding this question, if it's real or it's a trick. 
And if it is an illusion, and this woman is pulling the wool over their eyes, as many magicians do, they simply have all these tricks to make it look supernatural, and they're using optical illusion. If that's the case, how can one explain these verses here? I mean, she seems to be doing something. If you look at this shot of the scripture, real stuff is happening. So we'll get into that next time as well. Is she a phony and she just knows how to do these tricks? Or is there such a thing as a seance where you bring up the souls, even the holy soul of Shmuel the Navi? Stay tuned.